Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all 7 continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Ben, how are you brother? Morning Chris, how you doing? <laughs> Mate, I'm fine, I'm fine, it's, um, it's great to be chatting. Coldstream Guards... Yes, mate, Coulson Guards. One of the most historic, famous regiments in the British Army, is it not? Yeah, uh, 1650, Oliver Cromwell, yeah. Blimey. Do you have to wear all the, you know, all, what, what do they call the hats? Bearskins. Bears, sorry, I'm sorry. I, I was right. in, Marines is in the Navy. A lot of people don't understand this. So <laughs> I know that, yeah. You know, the Army to us, we, we know like a bit about it, but... but it's all a bit sort of a- a- alien. Um, did you have to do um, royal cer- ceremonies like at like the palace and stuff? Yeah, I did. I did uh, cut the troops, troop the colours, royal duties. Not that many because I was quite operational throughout my time. So, but yeah, I did. I, I had the honour of doing uh, Buckingham Palace and James Palace and uh, Windsor Castle. When you were like marching around, do you used to like see Kate Middleton like getting out of the shower or something? Or uh, all the time, that's all I was looking for. <laughs> ben listen your book when war follows you home massive yeah, congratulations here, thank good you man, good yeah. man. beautiful cover by the way yeah thank you yeah you're welcome no i know what it's like mate i've written a few books and it's um i'd recommend anyone to do it really everyone's got a story in them but it's just it, it's a real commitment isn't it to get getting a book done it, you know what it could be it, it, it could be it's a good way of therapy as well actually um but you have to relive through it whilst writing it. But but yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I found that with my because my um my story, my Hong Kong story, was like twenty years ago now, and I've all that shit. You should just forget all that trauma and <laughs> nearly dying and substance misuse and da 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 da. And yet, when you write a book, you know, I wrote mine fifteen years later. I'm suddenly reliving all this stuff that, that yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it was healthy for me, to be honest. Well, um, I mean, this Chris, this is just my first one. I had to, I had to break my story into two because when I was in Yemen, uh, 2016, people used to say to me, you've had a, you've had a mental life on, 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 on and off the battlefield, uh, in Sibby street, growing up in the army, when I, whilst I was out in Yemen in 2016, just had my son, my youngest son, and uh, I just started writing a diary, basically. Just started writing a diary. I'm dys- heavily dyslexic, can't read or write, hence the reason I was in the infantry. And, um, you know, and then uh, I yeah, just started writing a diary on Word, and it's quite therapeutic at times, hard to write at times, tearful, um, a lot come out, uh, it, you know, some laughs and tears, a lot of things come out whilst writing. The, well, seven years it took me to, to do this. And every time I thought I'd finished, something else cropped up, another another deployment, another contract, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, here we are now, first one's out, and hopefully reach out to people, help people. And uh, Good effort. Um, lesson there is, for our friends at home, is just no one else is going to make your dreams come true, are they? You know? That's true. You know, no, no, no one's going to come and do it for you. No. Uh, procrastination is the king of whatever that expression is, killing everything. I, I got quite addicted. You know, I couldn't, once I started, I couldn't stop. It was just, it was getting started. Yeah, you've got to get started. But then, you, 
it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint, isn't it? So, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's actually a month today. Yes, yeah, a month today this first got released on Amazon, funny enough. But I didn't, I didn't publicly release it until a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, congratulations again, mate. Um, yeah, so, so, Ben, or friends at home, I invited Ben on the show because we just wanted a, a real grassroots chat about the realities of the military. You don't hear in, in the majority of the podcasts out there, you know. I personally think it's got to a stage where the, the military's hero worship, which is something that comes off the back of uh, of Vietnam, believe it or not, because after Vietnam, people were anti-military, anti-war. And I say the psychopaths, the military-industrial complex, they couldn't be having that because they had all their wars planned for the next 50 years uh, in their, in their, you know, their new world order. And I asked Ben to come on today. So, we, you know, we're just going to tell you some realities, what it's really like. I'm not here to say military is all bad. I'm I'm saying it's a job. It's just a job. I would have been just as proud of myself, you know, working in a hospital as I was being a Marines and, and everybody should be. You yeah. get you get one life. You can't be comparing yourself to other people and 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 living in the past because you didn't join the military when you were 16 or or, or 18. That's um that's like you're carrying baggage your whole life. Also, I wanted to talk about the trauma because everyone's got this idea that PTSD is something only military people can get, which is not true. Trauma can be anybody in society. And also, the vast majority of people I speak to, and I speak to a lot of veterans, the trauma come from childhood, not from the military. The military might have had some unpleasant stuff, uh combat may have compounded that trauma but the most of it is that the the military recruits from what you just said there yeah what we just said there the last the last thing of this book so i'm just going to go to the last bit of this book now because it's, it's so relevant to what you just said the last sentence of my book bear in mind there's going to be two books but also i'm not going to give too much away and it's not a, it's not a way it's not a means of that anyway but exactly what you just said there the the, the last uh the last sentence of my book, when when war follows you home, is had war started at home as a child or followed me home from Iraq to be continued, which is literally what you just literally what you just said there. And and what you just said there, the amount of people that I've had recently, recently as well, people that I didn't even really connect with in the army. I wasn't in the same I was in as you know, a battalion's a big thing, you know. People that I didn't particularly get on with that are a lot older than me. Um they were senior bonds, they were senior NCOs, et cetera, et cetera, for, uh, non-commissioned officers. The, the amount of people that have Facebooked me since I've, cut, I've gone public with this book and this story and have said to me, I had the same kind of childhood. I, I had one guy recently, I won't mention his name, but, um, but he was a, he was a, a 22-year guy and he's just come, he just, he just, he's just connected with me on Facebook and basically said, I had the same sort of childhood then. I'm going doctors tomorrow. So already that my story has already helped and connected with one guy. Do you know what I mean? And and I, and I know it will connect with a lot of other people. And that was to do with the childhood, not to do with the to the army, you know? So Ben, let's start there then. Uh what what was childhood like for you? Do you know what? It started off well. I had good grandparents in Luton. Um so I was basically in between Luton and Kettering area. 
my parents separated at a young age. My dad was my dad was ex ex Royal Anglian, but he was never really on the scene. He was either in jail um, for, for various things. Uh, he, he wasn't really on the scene. My mother my mother met some bloke. Uh, his name, do you know what? Some fucking bully. Okay, his name's Andrew. Andrew, I won't mention his surname, but I'd love to. I'd love to publicly humiliate the bloke, but I won't. If if people know, they know. You know what I mean. Uh, but uh, my mum met my mum met this guy. Um, the only good thing that came out of that relationship was my brother and my sister. Everything else was was terrible. He he physically and mentally abused my mother from very from when I was a very young age. I mean, I used to, he I used to listen to him like assault my mum physically, mentally. And even worse than that, I'll I'll, let, I'll leave that up to you. What's the side? But um, I, I don't want to. If a mum hears this, I don't want to upset her too much. You know what I mean? But yeah, there was a lot of abuse, uh, which even worse, even worse than physical abuse. So things that happen in the bedroom, for example, uh, and I just have to listen to that and get over that. And at times, I, I turned in from being a brother into a father figure for my brother and sister because I'd be I'd have their ears, I'd be I'd be holding their ears, I'd be locking them in the bedroom. And at the same time, all you can hear is what's going on downstairs or in the bedroom. And yeah, it, it was fucking horrible. And you know, it's, it's something that I live with forever. And uh, you, you know, from the age of sort of like 14, 15, I used to carry I used to have weapons outside my house. I used to do, I used to go and do room clearances when I got home from school. Which 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 sounds mental. Basically, fit I feel fighting a bit of hair. It's like go, I used to get home from school. I used to go through, all, go go in the house, go in the house, go to the left, go into the kitchen, keep the doors in, see if this comes, if this bloke was in the, uh, if this bloke was in the um, in the house or not. Go upstairs. He's not in there. But then sometimes you know I'd get back from school, my bedroom window would be open, and I'm thinking who's in there? What's going on? And the bloke would be sat there with his guitar on, wouldn't speak to me. And the and the thing was, you know, Chris, to think that the what what hurt the most was he, whilst he's physically abusing my brother, my sister, and my mother, because he was so shit scared of my dad, he never used to do it to me. So he just used to he used to mentally affect me as well. But sometimes I just used to wish that he'd lay a finger on me, because could have him could have him strung up within within an hour. From my from my father, which nearly happened later on in life, but uh, I had to separate myself to Luton. Uh, the, the police all got involved, and the guy even tried to get me arrested for assault at the age of fifteen. He's a grown man because because protecting my mum, I, I, I hit him, and uh, he tried to get me he tried to get me arrested at the age of fifteen. Yeah, because he's because he's he's got my mum up against the wall. You know, I remember it like it was yesterday. You know what I mean? The, the trauma the trauma was terrible, and my mum. Uh, sorry, my father rang me on the house phone. I was, I was in Luton, and he basically just said to me, "Where does this guy live?" And he lived on Brayford Avenue in Corby. This is I'm 38 now, so we're going back. We're going back when I was 14, 15. So we're going back like 20 odd years ago, if, if not more. And in fact, def, definitely more, whatever it is. And um, I remember it like it was yesterday. And I, I said to, said to my dad, "Where does this guy live?" And my nan overheard the conversation. And cut a long story short, my mum got involved. Um, Found my dad, and he was basically he was basically in Corby, and round the corner from this guy's house, ready to take him out. And so my mum, so even though this guy was so domestically abusive, mentally abusive, she even still saved his life. 
that day. And, 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 I'm, and I, was at the, I, was such, I was at such a young age, I was even 14 or 15 at the time. And well, I get the shakes now thinking about that, you know. But yeah, that's where it all started from. And um, in between that, my granddad was a soldier, my dad was a soldier. He's, we've got bloodlines going back to the army up from the First World War. I just wanted to, I wanted to join the army, not for king, not for queen and country. It's king now, isn't it? Not for queen and country. I didn't know about politics. Didn't really give a fuck about politics either. Who does at that age? I just wanted to be in the army. Um, I, to, to be quite honest with you, at that at that age, maybe it's because of what I've experienced as a child. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not a doctor. You know. But I just wanted to go to war really early in life. Uh, whether that was to, to channel this anger out or, or whatnot. I mean, like in this book, it goes on about basic training and, and bayonet fighting. So this book actually goes into depth about how you train as an infantry soldier. Um, it goes on about the bayonet fighting, it goes on about the drill, it goes on about quite a lot of things. And all I can say is when I was doing my bayonet training course, both of them, there was only one face on that bayonet course that I could see. And it was this guy who was just, just talking about, which used, which gets me through got me through a lot of the um, challenging men, uh, physical challenges that lay ahead in life, you know? You know, you're one youngster and and you're training to bayonet other other youngsters. It's a bit a bit close to home, isn't it, really? It is close to home, you know. It, the, the training's there for a reason, you know. They call it natural controlled aggression, but you can't really teach natural controlled aggression with a bayonet, can you? <laughs> do you think though that I mean that's in, it's intense programming uh, Ben Griffin the former SAS guy talks a lot about this you know tra- training people that are, like teenagers to like shove a bayonet through someone's face basically <laughs> um, uh, uh, how difficult do you think that that heavy sort of indoctrination program is when, when you leave the forces do you, i mean i i've had some uh had a para on the show chap called steve and he said chris chris when i left the forces everyone was an enemy everyone he said i walked down the street anyone walked the other way he says i'm already thinking right how am i going to take this person out you know probably break their jaw stamp on their head when they're on the floor you know, and he said, I lived like that for years before I yeah. recognised I was really unwell. Um, I, yeah, yeah, I, I relate to that. A lot, like, I'm sure 99.9% of people that listen to this show that have, that have done the same similar thing. I, I'll have my back to the wall. I, I still do it now, actually. And I'll always I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll sit my back towards the wall. And unless I'm absolutely plastered, like if I go somewhere sober, even if it's just out normally, like going out, just going out normal, I'll have them back to the wall. And if so, if I think someone's got their hand in their, give you a good example, someone's got their hand in the pocket, I'll think they've got a blade on them. And how 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 far away do I need to stand back? And and if that comes out, how am I going to do it? Do I bite his nose off? Do, do, I, do I stick a glass in his in his face? Uh, it, yeah, it's not, and it's and it's a shit way of living. It really is because it it honestly. It, it takes it takes the enjoyment out of of life. Basically, you just you can't just go out and enjoy yourself. You, you, I've learned to live and deal with it, cope with those mechanisms, um, which I think writing the book really helped me with. And um, yeah, looking back, 
I, I, but then, you know, I said that I used to do this as a child as well, going through room clearances with a weapon. Obviously, something started at home, and but obviously, but then obviously progressed quite a lot throughout the military, you know. Yeah, it's just mental, isn't it? You get you, you get that progress, just basically teaching you to be a savage killer with almost, um, well, sociopathic because you can't have any empathy for your enemy, and you don't. When I was in the military, right. I, 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 I mean, we, we, we did a tour of Northern Ireland. I, I, I didn't have the ability to stop and think, this person that I will shoot today if if I get the chance is actually just another kid like me, probably, you know, just doing their bit because they've been told they got a scrap. We've been told we got a scrap. And when you leave, what kind of desensitization program did you get or counseling to help you overcome the fact that this minute you're trained killer who literally when you go in a pub, you're looking around thinking, right, how do I take this guy out? What if that bounce, you know, bang if i smack him what training did you get to take you from that point to the next day you're a civilian going working in a call center let's face it you get cool i mean when i was oh five was my first tour in in iraq 2005 obselic uh and uh six and uh my first time i severely i got arrested for the first time was was an r and r and I'd get, there was a Sanger incident. I shot, I, I, I had five shots in anger from Sanger 3 uh, in, from the Shallow Hotel. And it wasn't long after that, I was then in a nightclub in, in Kettering, actually, and uh, doing, doing my two weeks. So, you know, one minute I'm, on our, one minute I'm going down the MSR with IEDs going off in, in Basra, and then the, the minute after that, and in fact, in the book, it actually, Somebody mentioned somebody brought it up in in a in a pub that I bumped into not so long ago. He's, it, a lot of people go through the book and they say uh, the story and say this bit's captivated them or that that's this bit's cap- and it, it's all different. It's all different stories or instances. No one's got the same incident that's captivated them more than the other. And it, this is just diff- different people going on about it. Um, so I remember like going f- when I got back at Bryce Norton for R and R, I was getting a lift home. I was going down the road, and I was like, there was a, there was a, a wire going across the road, and I was like, stop, 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 stop the car, stop the car, and uh, the bloke who was giving me a lift back to Kettering was like, oh, what's up? And I stopped the car, and I was, I was seeing this wire going along the road. In my head, there was an ID, and we were in fucking England, and when I got out of the car, I was, I was like, oh, I just need, I just need a piss, because I felt once that once once I realised I was back in England, it's, I've only been back a few hours, but um, I was like, "What am I doing?" Like, uh, I just need a piss. So you just make some, you make some bullshit up. I mean, I need a piss. So yeah, you have a. So I just went for a wee, and you're all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fine. I'm fine. A few days before I was due back on R and R, we um, there was this guy had a fight with my mate. No big deal. Um, I think it was over a woman, like most fights are with blokes. And they're both civvies, but the bloke was following me. And I had nothing to do with it. I had nothing to do with the argument. And the whole day, I was thinking, uh, sorry, the whole evening, I was just thinking, this guy's going to do this or this guy's going to do that. And in the end, he did come up to me and I, I blacked out. I basically put a glass over his head, his ear, it's cut his ear off. And the next minute, I washed my hands in the toilet. 
walking out the nightclub and I'm nicked for GBH. And I'm thinking, what have I got nicked for? Well, what, what have I been arrested for? I had no, I had no empathy. I, I had no sympathy. I had no remorse. Uh, got arrested. And it wasn't the first or last time I got arrested. Sorry, it was the first time, not the last time I got arrested. But yeah, did the interview. Uh, didn't realise what Section 18 was at that time. And when I left, when I left Iraq, because I'd done these shots, these lethal shots, and, and a few other things in Basra, I left on a recommendation. I actually got a recommendation, and like promotion courts were promised, and you know every, everything. All of the world, the world couldn't look sweeter. Mm. And then because I've gone and got myself in a bit of drama over uh, over two weeks R and R, I went back and I was a, I was the worst thing. All the, the recommendation was took off me. This was took off me. That was took off me, and it was like, what, what, what have I done? I literally, it felt it just yeah. Then the bullying started, and it was like I went back from just went from being really good to nothing, and I had to build myself back up again. And, and then it, yeah, it was it was, it was it was it was mental. Can you tell us about uh, the shots you had to fire? What what basically we was on? I was I was on Sanger three. Uh, there was it was always two blokes on Sanger Three because it was the main entrance to to the to the uh, the, the hotel. It's obviously, when I say hotel, for some people will think, oh, hotel uh, Hilton or something. No, it was it was an old decrepit hotel with bullet holes and, and, and rock, Chinese rocket holes and mortar damage to it. You know, um, so we, we was on the uh, I was on the Sanger, and this is the first time it happened and the last time it happened actually. Uh, I was on Sanger Three. One uh, one vehicle came towards the to the towards the sign. The vehicle was red. I remember it like it was yesterday. And obviously, at the front of the sanger, it says, uh, as in the blast walls, it says, "Do not come past this this sign. Lethal shots may be fired, or lethal force will be used." In Arabic and in English, I fired a warning shot. This this vehicle actually stopped. He got out. QRF quick reaction force went out, checked him out, let him in. He was there for a reason. Half an hour, forty-five minutes. I mean, I was on this. I was only meant to be on the Sanger for two hours before changing over. Two hours later, so less than two hours later, a white flatbedded truck came through, came down the same route. Didn't indicate. Turned, turned right, and I thought, I thought, fuck off. Like, right, no way. And um, we going at quite some speed. I fired a warning shot to the left. It didn't slow down. If anything, it accelerated. So. How, how, how long have I got? We're talking 15, 20 metres. That's not a long, that's not far distance. I had no choice, but I, I, I didn't even think. A training kicked in and I fired straight through the windscreen at the driver. And I then the guy in the, in the sang next to me jumped, jumped down. I was expecting a blast. There was three, there was three, uh, there was three people in the vehicle, but everyone knew that it didn't be mainly people in the vehicle. It, you know, women and kids could have been in that. They weren't women or kids. There were three men, fighting age males. But, yeah, it doesn't matter. They're, they're trained to do their thing. We're trained to do our thing, like you said earlier. There was no, there was no blast. There was no bomb. Uh, QRF went out, assessed the situation. The, the uh, I got, I got relieved off duty very, very soon after that. Turned out I had to go and do a statement with the RMPs. Um, turned out he was a news reporter. Apparently, allegedly, this is what I, this is what I got told anyway. He was a news reporter, um, but. Went through, like I say, went through the RMPs, went through the, but because I followed the card alpha to the to the letter of the law, I said five warning shots first and whatnot before before taking lethal action, take, taking aim shots at, at a driver. Nothing else was said. Got a recommendation. Nothing else was said, and 
all of a sudden, do you know what? Funny enough, up until that point, I'd the SAE. After that point, I was then given the UGL, the Understand Grenade Launcher. Yeah, basically made like the two I see. It, it, it was just, it, it, from that, it just went for being like, yeah, it felt like, yeah, you're the bollocks. Do you know what I mean? And, and uh, always out on patrol, got, got picked for this, got picked for that. That then went home on R&R. Um, I didn't think there was anything wrong with me at the time. Like, you just can't separate yourself, though. You just cannot separate yourself from one thing. You come home, but the war's still there. You know what I mean? Like, i.e. when war, like I say, you know, like when war finds you home. There is no, there is no, personally, I don't think you should have R&R when, when, you, when you're out. I know everyone needs a bit of decompression, but same as Afghanistan. I mean, you go from a real hostile environment to mortars going over your head, Chinese rockets, small arms going over your head, people dropping. People, casualties, casualties, and then you've got, you've got to deal with that. You've got to deal with the in, incoming those mortars as well. So you've got to deal with the mortars coming down. You've got to deal with the Chinese rockets going over your head. You've got to deal with the small arms coming over. And and then all of a sudden, bang, you're on R&R. And, then, and the, only, the only thing we ever had was uh, after Afghanistan was, um, they call it decompression, which was basically 24 hours on the piss in Cyprus. That's all it they went through a few slideshows. No no one no one give a fuck. No no one was interested. All we wanted to do is get the free beer, drink, and have a fire with each other. And that's what it was there for. Go on the beach, drink, beat each other up, and then the next day we're in Windsor. It, and that was it. It's 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 just a it's an odd situation, isn't it? You got someone there that for some reason we don't even know he couldn't read Arabic, do we? <laughs> you know, I mean, do, you know, do you know, things have, people have asked me this and, and uh, there is that, yeah. Who, not many of them can, yeah. That's a good comment. I and mean, they ain't, they ain't, they're not like, say, English people quite conservative. We'd be, you know, I, I went past my old barracks the other day. I didn't even like pull my phone out to take a picture because you just, yeah, you just got, you, you, it's not that it wouldn't have been a problem, but had someone seen me, they would have come out and had to say, sorry, excuse me, who are you? What what you doing? Yeah. Da, da, da. Whereas, you know, I spent a lot of time in the, in the Middle East. They are a bit doolally, a lot of them, aren't they? <laughs> anyway. you, you, listen, you know, I've, I've, I've recently, well, not recently, but I did my last contract in 21 uh, out in Mosul, at the Department of Defence contract, um, basically, was, um, demining IDs, ISIS IDs, and uh, when I was, let's say it's 2020, 2021, I was out in Mosul, Kirk, and yeah, the, there was no difference between them. But I mean, this is all during COVID as well, yeah. And uh, like, there was still there, there was no there, there was no difference between 2005 to now. And what I mean by that is the way that they were living. There was no. The cars were all the same. I'm not basically, yeah. Do lally, hundred people fighting over one chicken for for, for market day, and and, and uh, yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and I get what you're saying. Could he read? A lot of them haven't been educated. I've never, I've never really thought that before. All I ever thought about before, really, was um, the fact that was he a news reporter, or, or if he was, who's to say that they both of them that maybe they were dickers, uh, as in trying it on. I think we should just get to the issue. Uh, sorry, get to another issue here. Is yeah. that it's, you know, conflict puts young men 
in incredibly challenging situations like the one that you were in and then yeah. they and then he got to live with that a- a- action as it, i mean can you just sort of tell us how how did it how has it affected you what well you, you, you know what that incident i have to be honest that incident hasn't really um affected me because in my head, I did the right thing because yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I, I, I was, uh, I was, I was given a recommendation, and I, I, no, no further action was to come of it. But I've had so many other incidences that, that then turned that when I got home from R and R, and then I, I was a shitbag because of something that I'd done in Sydney Street. But that then started. I start then thinking, what is going on with this with this organisation I'm in? Because I was involved in another serious incident in, in, in on the same tour, which where where we had a, a snatch vehicle breakdown. And I was, and it was it was just a few days after the Jamiat riots when the two SAS lads got arrested in Basra. Like the, the ID threat, everything went up really. Like the whole threat level went up massively, and our our, um, our snatch vehicle breakdown. And to cut a long story short, we had to tab it back to Shire Logistic Base, good 12-odd K, but the radios weren't working, the convoy left us, no one was coming back. We was gonna we was doing we set up a vehicle checkpoint. I could go into it all day, it's in the book. But um we we, we basically tabbed we was gonna steal the, the guy's car. Um we, we we went we started tabbing back to Shire, but we got contacted on the way back. And this incident we well when we got back to Shiba, their commanding officer from uh, the one Royal Irish he was actually, and if he ever listens to this podcast, he'll remember. I'd love to remember his name. I can't. But he was commanding officer of one Royal Irish on October six. He shook. He shook. There was only half a multiple of us, not a full multiple. So only half multiple. Five five lads. He shook our hands, and he said, "If you're our guy, you should be getting, uh, you'd, you'd be getting written up for this." Was basically what he said. And what really, really fucked me off was we were waiting to be picked up the next morning. And when we got picked up, it was literally you lot getting the back of this fucking vehicle now. Got to drive back in a convoy to show, uh, to, the, to the to the shuttle Arab. And the start major was watching, there waiting for us. And it was basically, uh, this didn't happen. We don't talk about this. And we thought, like, what? Fuck you on about? Well, do you know what I mean? And it, it was from there I just started seeing a different side to it. And it sounds like cowardice, and they put it all on when they should have had your backs. Really, sorry, I just wanted to pick on these topics because we we said we we're going to talk about the stuff that most people don't talk about. And yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I found I found that I was supposed to be in the elite of the elite. Most of the blokes I work with were really good people, really nice lads. I'm still friends with so many today. But there were situations where I just saw the most two-faced, gutless cowardice that I switched off from people. I thought, I'm never going to like you again. Okay, I have met people subsequently and, you know, water's under the bridge. Of course it is. We're all all bloody grown up now. But, I mean, there's some stuff that was said to me. And again, you got to remember, you're talking to someone with childhood trauma. I'm going to fucking hate you, and I'm going to yeah. fucking hate you for. Yeah. And 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 if you get slotted today, I I literally will not bat an eyelid. I will not 
bat an eye. I'm talking like in. You know, I know this. I, I, I hear exactly what you're saying, and, and, and I and I have exactly the same feeling about certain people as well. Um, and again, I, I'm not saying that this is right. I'm just saying this is the this is the arena that we lived in. It, it, you know? it feels like just a massive corrupt corporate organisation because I know shit rolls downhill, but I mean they made me they made me homeless when I was when, when I was I was meant to be going from, uh, you know probably jumping the gun here, but you know we've only got a certain amount of time to talk about a lot of things, you know, but. I kept getting into trouble. I was I was drinking a fucking lot when I, uh, after Iraq. Um, I, I, when I, I want, I didn't want to be in the UK. I couldn't adapt. Put it this way: that's why I didn't do that many ceremonials. I did do my ceremony. I did my first bit of ceremonial, but I was putting my name down for every tour, every uh, every exercise attached. I mean, one of them was attached to the SF out in Africa and. It, 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 it was just like I, everything that I could do to be away from the corporate side, as in back in the cities, back in England, I, I wanted to get away from. And like, I, I, it wasn't until I got back from Afghanistan. When I got back from Afghanistan, I couldn't stand the uniform. My, my whole, my whole attitude changed towards uh, the, I, I was suffering mentally and I knew I knew something was wrong. I knew something was seriously, seriously wrong. I was drinking. I was drinking because I was pissed off, but I was pissed off because I couldn't sleep. I was drinking to help me get to sleep. I was getting into so much trouble and getting arrested all the time. And, and I was just thinking, there was no one to talk to. There was no, there was no one to really, you know, there was no one to really confide in. Yeah, yeah, I had some good mates. I'm good with mates today. But it took, I didn't want to. I didn't want to step out of that zone and say, "I think I've got a problem there," because you get you, you get isolated and you get tied with a certain brush. And it was like, uh, but I had to. I, I, I literally had to. And yes, but but the, the thing is, the thing the minute you, the minute you step out and go, "I think I've got a problem here," you then take it out of that section. You take they take you isolated. Move through, move rooms. No, it's basically like don't talk to that guy, and they'll stick. You go see a doctor, and and it, then you feel like then you feel bad about going into scoffhouse for food because you feel like everyone's looking at you. And, do you know what I mean? It, it's it's horrible. It was, it was, well, it was, from the, from the books I read, um, I read Foxy's book. Uh, yeah, he, he talked very openly about his PTSD, as we all should. Uh and it seems to me like as soon as you go and see the, the doc, they're like, right, let's just write you up and get you out of here. You, well, you, this is what this is. I mean, I was going through at this moment in time, I was going to be medically discharged. Uh, I was going through a, again, I was going through a two cases of assault that happened prior to uh, Afghanistan. And actually, do you know what? Going back to, you know, when you said, you know, you see someone and you oh, I fucking hate them. I got nicked on a Saturday, I got nicked on a Sunday. And th- these problems were consistent going through for all the time. It's funny to them. It's funny to them. It's, when it doesn't come back on them, they find it funny. And in fact, if anything, you're encouraged to, to be like that at some points because they laugh and joke about it. So I was then, I was then uh, took to Afghanistan. They knew I was on bail. 
uh, sorry, whilst I was in Afghanistan, I missed a court appearance, okay? So because I missed that court appearance, they decided to charge me with attempt to a court of justice as well. Like, so I evaded court, which is bollocks because I was in Afghan. And the amount of shit I got personally whilst on whilst on the front line in Helm Province, because I'd missed a court appearance, and they took me. They took me there knowing that I was on bail. And the amount of shit that I got. Mm. It's like Full Metal Jacket. Have you seen Full Metal Jacket? Yeah, of course I have, yeah. And it's like private party building up, and it's building yeah. up, and 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 then everyone's surprised when. <laughs> but it goes, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I should just clarify when I said I freaking hate you. I, yeah. The, the the thing was, Ben, I would have died for my team. Yes, yeah. And and the Royal Marines, at, you know, absolutely unequivocally, and I know that because on our Belfast tour, I give it. 100% every single moment yeah every single day right from the moment we went on our first patrol I'm I'm looking at this player I'm like that's Paddy O what's his name Paddy can I have a quick word with you mate you know bang straight in all my team were like I'd say John could you go and stop that guy John would freeze the yeah. guy would walk past and I'm like what the fuck are you doing I just told you to stop what it was, the guy's too too scared. Whereas me, I was like, right, that car there, that that number plate, that belongs to so and so. Stop yeah. it! And lo and behold, and and when um when Jock got when Jock got hit, Jock got hit three times, and then they turn uh, that I, me- I remember watching the ground pinging up around my feet where the sniper had then or the gunman rather had then moved on to me, and as soon as I spotted Jock was spark out on the floor. I, I just started run, running back across open ground because that I'm a Royal Marines commando. That is what we do. We don't leave our buddy out there for 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 a gunman to be taking pot shot. You know, sometimes the way I was got treated in that company was just like I didn't deserve that. Do you know what no. I mean? I, I did not. And I'm I'm just being I'm just being, friends at home. Just we're just being you know all, honest Correct. here in the mortar pits. We've had we've had we've had um, we've had indirect fire coming in, and the fucking mortars going off left, right, and centre. You can hear you can hear the Chinese rockets coming over. I read the RPGs, and no no disrespect to some of these guys uh, that I was they were great lads. Some went on to be very highly decorated uh, NCOs and more. But in the, in certain instances, people were freezing, and and they were and they were just trying to bury their head in the sand, you know and. And, and I'm like holding the base plate and putting the fucking mortars down the barrel and and, and like trying to do three jobs at once thinking fuck it we're going to do this and when you just said the shoulders and and, and, other, and other people that have, have opened up they it, it seems to be that the it seems to be something that maybe came from a childhood that, that's made you just want to stand up I don't know I don't know what it is but it, it just seems that a lot of what you're saying now, I can I can connect with as well. You know, we was in two, we was in two, we were both in two very good professional regiments, but there are certain people that freeze, and there's some people that aren't, and then, and then, but then, some of us get treated absolute dog shit at times. Ben, let's let's move on then, because I'm conscious of the time time. Yeah, that's fine. So, when you left, when when did you realise it was coming to a head? For me, when I was. 
I was crawling across a wire between two skyscrapers in Hong Kong, right? right. In complete psychosis from chronic crystal meth addiction. Right. I, okay. I actually well. believe I actually believe my commando training had trained me to crawl across this wire between these two buildings. Right. And and I'm like 70 meters above the ground looking down. And even then, to be honest, it took another 18 months from that moment to realize I really wasn't very well. Yeah. And that I had to start making some changes in my life. And, and I never reached out for help because I'm too self-sufficient. <laughs> I've, I've only ever had myself yeah. to look after myself. And I didn't want to go to groups and, you know, fucking sing Alleluia and all that. So, you know, that that was that was like my, my way out, <laughs> out or at least out yeah. of the, cr- the chronic phase of addiction anyway. What what about yourself? Where- well, the army, you know, I did all this for the army and then, and then the army nearly took my life as well because I was going, like I said, I was on a, I was on a, I was on some charges during the charges, I I reached. I decided. I realised I wasn't very well because I was drinking too much. Suicidal thoughts, which came into practice as well. Unfortunately, well, you know, I'm still here to tell a tale. I've got children now. You know, luckily I failed that. But you know, that it was basically. This, I'm not going. It wasn't the reg. It was the system. Let the system severely let me down. They they I, they put me through some therapy, which didn't really help. I was banged with a lot of sleeping tablets, a lot of pills that made me put on a lot of weight, um, antidepressants, the, the lot, did some EMDR therapy. But it it was it was just the I mean, I was meant I was meant to be going for a medical discharge and overnight so where it all ended for me is overnight during the medical discharge, um I actually, you know, I tried to kill I I I done enough. Uh, I, I Things were said, demons were in my brain. I took a heavy, heavy overdose uh, in, in Maidstone. And uh, I, I think I took something like 100, if, if not more, of uh, like uh, the, the strongest codeine, cocaine oil you can get. Uh, I woke up on the floor and I was, I was, I was, I was, I, was, I, I didn't know what day it was. Drove myself to Ashford Hospital and admitted myself into hospital. Consequently, discharged myself from hospital. Uh, they wouldn't let me go until I spoke to a psychiatrist or a doctor of some sort. But I bullshitted and said, no, I was, I've just been drinking. No, I didn't realise that what I'd done. Uh, didn't really, you know, I, I, I've got stomach problems now. And to this day, I think that, that was probably the cause of it all. Burnt such a hole in my stomach. I was ill for two weeks. But uh, the army was, I was going to get medically discharged and, I went for a medical to get medically discharged. The doctor said, yeah, you get a medically discharged today, which would have meant a bit of help, uh, a little bit of help once you've left and a little bit of uh, maybe some resettlement as, as well. Honestly, I hope no one's experienced this. I bet they have. But I went on command officer's orders and it wasn't until that moment that, that believing that I was getting medically discharged that the director of Army Manning in, in Glasgow had decided to overrule my medical discharge because I got a, because I got a suspended prison sentence for 38 weeks suspended for two years under Queen's regulations uh, such and such it was classed the same as a custodial prison sentence so 
the arm, the rector of army manning then decided to give me a dishonorable discharge out of the armed forces after after four tours and and um meant to get recommendations promised this promised that then you're a ship bay again uh and so i was made homeless overnight had to have handed me mod 90 i was marched off barracks like on some kind of fucking, you know what i mean i don't know like i like some like yeah like i was some sort of uh ter- I, honestly I, I i i was I was basically I was made, home, I was, I was made homeless o- overnight from the army. I had no idea they were going to try and many dis- uh, try and disarm discharge me. And I thought, luckily, I didn't end up on the streets because I was seeing someone at the time, and, and they they put me up. But um, I, I I then tried to kill myself again, and I just thought, I thought, what do I do? You know what I mean? And I ended up back in Ashford, Ashford Hospital again, and and, and I just thought. My in, I, I couldn't watch war films. I couldn't. I couldn't look at uniform. I couldn't listen to firework. Everything. I was. I was just a mess. Absolute mess. And I didn't want to be around people. I, I was like just lost all. Cause just just lost everything. And I. I got them. Put, I got put in touch with. Uh, I got put in touch with a talking smiles charity. A guy called Rob Paxman. He's an XSAS lad. Yeah. Yeah. Rob. Yeah, you know Rob, yeah. So he took me he took me on uh, GMTV and we went through a bit of therapy with uh, Talking to Minds. It was still documented on TV back in 2010. So, and that, that went from there to a Japanese newspaper to the Radio 4. Um, I found a good solicitor. I built, a bit, I built myself up a bit. Thought, I'm not going to let this beat me. But obviously I was drinking heavily, but I just... I, subsequently, I found a good solicitor and they fought, they took the army case on and we fought it and I I won. I, I got a reverse to a medical discharge, thankfully, which, uh, and, but that, that nearly cost me my life twice. And, you know, I mean, I've known people that, that have killed themselves through trauma and, and have very good friends and they've just been, they've had no military funeral, blah, blah, blah. And, and looking back on it, realistically looking back on it, why did they do that to me? And and I, I, the only answer that I can come up with is because they didn't want to be, they didn't want that statistic next to their name. So it would be a lot easier to discharge me of because I'm a fucking criminal, because I'm violent and I've got a prison sentence suspended for two years than it is to say this guy has got problems and needed help. That's the only, that's the only, that's the only uh, that's the only reason I can come up with now about that. Yeah, I mean that's another reason we need these conversations, isn't it? Is too many of our colleagues are hanging themselves, you know, in a garage, yeah. and the kids are having to come home and find them. It, you know, these conversations aren't easy, folks, are they? No, they're not. It would be so easy for me and Ben to sit here today and tell you how brilliant the military is. We're all we're all heroes. We're all hard as hell, you know, we, 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 you know, never done a thing wrong in our lives. And these conflicts, oh, they're all, they're all perfectly legal folks and necessary, but it, we'd be lying, you know, this, we, we, we would be lying. Obviously, everyone will have a different experience of the military, but when it gets to the point where my friend took his own life, left behind four children, 
where where's all this brilliant military stuff then what where, where, where's that fat you know after serving i think it was 25 years what what where's all these brilliant good buddies and colleagues that didn't recognize this person was really unwell um not apportioning blame not trying to do that just saying friends this is a conversation needs to be needs to be had because military make up the biggest proportion of the homeless statistics biggest proport you know one of the bigger proportions of the prison statistics one of the biggest proportions of the substance abuse addiction statistics the biggest statistic in domestic violence the children of service people uh statistically more likely to grow up as with childhood trauma than than their civilian counterparts where is this conversation where is the uh defense minister or you know the, the what's his name old oh, johnny Mer- mercer you know not I'm not slagging Johnny off. I, I I would imagine he's probably tried his best up there in Westminster and he's met walls at every, you know, uh, uh, every way he's turned. Why is that? Well, let's be honest. It's because you're cannon fodder. Don't matter whether you fly a, a 30 million pound tornado bomber or whether you carry an SE-80 and, and, and stand in a trench. The military don't care <laughs> when when they're done with you. They, you know, they'll write you off, and then you have to go to charities. They'll, they'll drop three hundred thousand pound bombs on children in Afghanistan, but when you leave and you have a problem, you have to go to civilians to help you. People out the kindness of their hearts have started a charity because they know what is. They they understand this conversation that we're having today. What what? Why not stop like bombing the kids and look after your look after your military? That to me that seems like a, a like a like a no brainer, especially when uh, you know you're dropping his ordinance to make Tony Blair and George Bush and all their cronies who literally laugh at you and and, and think of you as scum. Not, not, and that's not just service personnel. That's that's everyone. Um, you know, I think we it's a conversation that needs to be had. Sorry, Ben. I just um, no, mate. Listen, yeah. you, you, just, you just all you're doing is hitting the nail on the head, Chris. You really are, and it's good that you. It's good. It's good that there's people like yourself, ex 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 servicemen that have, that have actually got the bottle. Um, to, to do podcasts like this and tell the truth because there's just not enough of them. And, and, and you know what? I hope my story, uh, this first book, the second book, and not just my story, me as a person, whether it's public speaking or what, whichever, which, whichever route it takes me, I just hope it helps people understand and, and um, reach out to get them to reach out, stop the suicide help them get help, you know, just, just, uh, just to get the word out there and, and just, and just, and just, yeah, you know what I mean? Just, just, yeah. Well, on that note, uh, friends reach out. Remember we're all part of a team. If you're not reaching out, 
you're letting a team down, aren't you? And we're all here for you, but you got to reach out. You can reach out to me for life coaching. Just book a free, completely free, 15-minute chat. I'll try and signpost you, or or if I think I can support you, obviously I, I will. Um, um, but, you know, reach out. After this chat, I, I will chat to Ben for a bit because I don't want to leave Ben in this you know, in, in, in this state, just, just for the sake of doing a podcast, you know, well, I need to check that he's okay. I've got a few tips there about leaving the past behind. Cause remember past doesn't actually exist. Even if you think it does, if you don't believe me, try and, uh, try and go and get a, an apple out of the fruit bowl that was in your, your, your mess. What do you call the mess in the army? You, well, no, we, we call it the mess. I thought it was the galley for you, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Could Galley, help. yeah. <laughs> mess is actually like our mess deck. I think that's yeah, a shit. Yeah. Oh, right, right, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a shit word. But anyway, the point is, if you think the past exists, go and try and get an apple from from, from your galley cookhouse, <laughs> or, yeah, yeah. or your cookhouse, right? You, you ain't going to be able to do it because it doesn't exist anymore, right? This is all, this is where your mind needs to start going to leave all this this stuff behind and and blossom into your future. Uh, and on that note, Ben, um, wh- how did you, you know, what was the dark? You've told me how horrible it was leaving the forces. Basically, you, you managed to turn it that round a bit there by getting the medical discharge. What was the lowest point you hit in Civvy Street? Uh, Civvy Street, trying to find another job, uh, trying to fit in, trying to fit in the society. I couldn't. Um, obviously, talking to minds really helped change my my vision on things, but that's why I ended up hiding the PTSD for a long time, and went back into private contracting. Went I went back into anti piracy, and, and then obviously, um, and then CP CP role contracting roles in Iraq. But I mean, you know, that role's now over. And my new journey's beginning, which is obviously with these with, with the books and the, these podcasts, and hopefully at some point it will lead me in another direction in the way of helping people like yourself, uh, reaching out and, and just uh if my story can help people and and you know, we've all got we've all we've all got families, we've all got a living to earn as well. But it it's not just you know you've got to be happy in life. And, and you, you, if, if using your experiences, your trauma can bring closure to other people and, and make them better, then, you know, that's, that's my goal now. That's, that's my goal now in life. Apart from letting my son, like you said, apart from my, my youngest son, who's seven, um, giving him a better future and, and, and upbringing than what I had is obviously the main priority in life. And then obviously the, the book and the, and my story tell everybody else is obviously Another, another goal, you know. So that's that's basically what I'm aiming for. Ben, stay on the line so we can yeah. have a nap. So we can have a yeah, nap tonight, mate. and I can thank you properly. It's been absolutely brilliant to meet you, mate. It re- really, yeah, you too, Chris. It's um, um, yeah, I'm really, uh, really honoured. Friends at home, uh, the book is "When War Follows You Home." Have you got the? Yeah, got the well, cover ben, there, Ben. You see that? Yep. There will be a link below, friends. There will also be a helpline link. I think it's a Linktree link where we've put on um, 
some organizations that can help people. The thing is just start reaching out because I tell you what, it's, it, it can get really dark, but darkness never ends. There's, and there's a light at the end of the tunnel for everyone. What you're feeling now, if you're struggling, it's just temporary. It will, it will not always be like that. And you will look back like I do now and like Ben does. And I mean, I can tell you, I'll wake up every day in paradise. My life is utterly brilliant. I would, I'm, I'm so fortunate that I hung, you know, I hung in there and I worked it out and it's a great place to be. And it's just waiting for you. And it's waiting for every single person watching. Um, But you got, you got to take action got to make that first move whether that's to go and see your gp and say look i'm drinking too much can you refer me there's a lot all these organizations are private they're um what's the word confidential um or or, you know reach out to a fellow veteran someone that you know isn't going to just turn around and judge you someone that's been there and um yeah i think i've said enough except just to say massive thank you again ben no, thanks. Let me thanks for inviting me on. on no that. worries. No yeah, worries. We'll we'll get you on the live show at some point. Friends at home, if you can hit the like and subscribe button, please. Remember, not a lot of people having these chats. These whether you've been in the military or not, whether you're struggling or not, we we do these chats because we want to, you know, broaden people's horizons really and help everyone start to, you know, make make that move into the the life that they deserve. So if you can like and subscribe, support the Patreon friends, it's just $1.99 a month. And think how many people you're helping by supporting a podcast like this. Much, much love. See you soon. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris Dot through. Thank you.